check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. We're continuing our Changemaker series today with a conversation with Donna Heitmanick. So she was in education for decades, and as she retired, she found herself in a whole new world, the world of a giant Facebook group. It started out small, the science of reading, what I should have learned in college, and grew very quickly because there are many of us who did not learn what we wish we had learned in college about how reading works and how best to teach reading. And so that group has become a major source of learning for hundreds of thousands of teachers. Let's get started. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for having me. So you are ahead of the wildly popular Science of Reading What I Should Have Learned in College Facebook group. And we're going to talk today about that group and how you can use it to reach people who maybe are still learning about the science of reading. But we're going to start by going back in time. If you could talk to us about how you got into teaching and then bring us up to why you decided to start that group. Teaching is one of those careers, I think, that either you want to do it or you don't. And, and I always wanted to do it. I was just like, I want to be a teacher. Although I have to say, a friend of mine whose mom said to me, because I, I said, I'm going to be a, I'm just going to be a teacher's aide. I really want to be, you know, an aide. She goes, oh, no, you don't want to be an aide. You, you want to be the teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, oh, Okay. And I think it was a confidence thing. I didn't think I had the confidence to, to do, to be the, the head, you know, of the classroom. So um, I went to college and that, that was my focus. And uh, I went for special education. So that was my first degree. I think back at that time, it was called Educable Mentally Handicapped EMH degree. Oh, okay. Yeah, back, back then. So that's, that's where I got my start, my first um, teaching um, classroom was on a, a naval base in North Chicago. Okay. I had a trailer for a classroom outside of the school. And, you know, it was a classic special ed, you know, keep the kids outside the building, yeah. I guess, type of thing. So that was my entryway into into education. I taught for a total of 35 years in the public schools. Hmm. And six years as a private tutor, uh, I took six years off to be at home mom. My career spanned high school through elementary. My high school career was a, as a transition specialist, which is getting kids that are special ed kids uh, to the world of work or the world of school beyond high school. So that was kind mm-hmm. of an interesting you know, experience. I did that for about seven years. And I also uh, worked for the state of Wisconsin and helping with their transition program, which actually was my gateway into meeting people in Wisconsin. When I moved to Wisconsin, I got to know people in the science reading world, you know, the the movers and shakers, Steve Dykstra, mm-hmm. Mary Newton, those mm-hmm. folks, you know, the backbone of, of change in Wisconsin. So I started working with those folks. And so, you know, your, your life, what you bring to the table helps you develop who you are and who you become. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was just, you know, I I came to Wisconsin just to work and live, and then I started getting involved in all this science of reading movement because I had been trained back in the late 80s in Orton-Gillingham. And okay. that's, 
you know, I, when I got out of college, I didn't know how to teach kids to read. It was basically, you know, basils, and it really wasn't that effective when you're looking back at it. On it, and now I see the value. It was the value of that Orton-Gillingham training. I finally felt like I knew what I was doing, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and that was ten years into my career at that point. So, you know, a lot of kids had passed through me, and I still didn't know what I was doing. And who knows what happened to them? So, after getting that training, I, I felt like I had something to sink my teeth into and help kids. So, when I came to Wisconsin, I knew there was something that you know, teachers needed to know. That's when this all this brain research started coming out and we had better ways to approach um, to, to teach reading. So I arrived in, in Wisconsin in 04, started working, volunteering for a nonprofit organization called the Literacy Task Force of Wisconsin. And our mission was to train teachers and lay people to be trained in evidence-based approaches. I was appointed in 2018, the year I retired, uh, I was appointed to a committee that was called the Dyslexia Study Committee. What came out of that study committee was um, were two bills. One never went anywhere, but the other one created a dyslexia guidebook Okay. for Wisconsin. And it was met with extreme opposition mm. from our state reading association. Um, they didn't even want the word dyslexia in it. And wow. so, so in order to get that legislation passed, there were lots and lots of um, hearings. And uh, so I was testifying at one of the hearings in the State Senate Education Committee. And I remember clearly t- talking to the senators and saying, you know, um, I have to write a book one day, and it's going to be the science of reading, what I should have learned in college. Mm-hmm. Maybe the next week I was sitting at home looking at my own Facebook site, and, and I realized there, were thing, there was this thing called groups. I had no idea. <laughs> and you know, that was four years ago. And I clicked on, and I'm like, hmm, this looks pretty easy. I think I can do this. <laughs> that thing about... Not learning this in college really, really resonated with me because I had gone through the one of the UW programs in Wisconsin in order to get my uh, reading certificate. I had to have it for the job that I had. My final job was as a Title I interventionist, but I needed a reading certificate for that. So I went to a UW school, got everything online, and it was a complete program based on reading recovery. That, that was this whole thing was reading recovery, basically. And so that, if you ask my husband, it was the most two painful years of my life. Oh. It was bad for me, and it was probably worse for him because <laughs> <laughs> he had to listen to me. Yeah. Um, but um, so got through that $7,000 later and realized that, you know, this still exists, this non- um, coursework that does not lead to any advanced knowledge of using the science at all, mm-hmm. you know, and so what a waste of time. And, you know, when you're a reading specialist, you are, you are the last straw for these kids. Yeah. You know, you're the last stop. Those kids need you. And if you can't give them what they need, they're out of luck. Mm-hmm. You know, basically we, we have to have, 
teachers, knowledgeable teachers, teachers who know the science, teachers who have resources, teachers who um, can do very good diagnostic work and pres prescribe the best intervention for that student. If we don't, we're failing those kids. We need to be t learning this in college. It yeah. just has to happen. So, you know, I think the big question for a lot of people is how do I share this with people who are resistant to it? And we're seeing the resistance still in some colleges and then also um, state groups, like you mentioned. What, in your opinion, is causing that resistance? Oh, lots of things. So um, schools of education, professors in education, um, and I don't want to make this a general statement, but um, overall, there are many individuals who, when they get to the level of being a professor, um, may think that I learned it. I learned everything I needed to learn in my schooling, and now I'm I'm the person that needs to instruct. And whether that training involved science-based reading intervention uh, information uh, doesn't matter. I mean, they they will teach whatever they are familiar with and comfortable with. You only can teach what you know, and so if they're not learning that in their studies, they can't pass that on to their to the teachers that they work with. Um, I think there's some egos involved there um, that people are having difficulty accepting that um, you may not have learned everything you needed to learn. Change is very hard. I think part of it is um, lack of understanding of what the, the, the science is telling us. And so, you know, they're not willing to either understand it or, or embrace it. Um, I'm not sure what causes that in individuals, but it, it's it's very much alive and well. And, um, you know, even school districts, um, administrators, if they don't have an understanding, then they can't make good choices for curriculum. I mean, it's just this complete cycle of failure on everyone's part to to move things forward. And if you don't know and you're not willing to learn, then you're going to get stay stuck in where you're at. Yeah. And I think, I think fear, like you said, is that's a big part of it for me. It was um, because, and I don't think I would have admitted that, but for one thing, like you said, I was taught a certain way, especially in grad school. And so I held on to that because I trusted these people that taught me this. I mean, they were confident in what they were saying. So to turn my back on that wasn't something I was even willing to consider, at least at first. And then, but then also as I started to learn more about it, it was definitely a fear. Like if I dip my toe into this water, how much do I have to let go of? How much do I have to take back? How much of what I did was wrong? And there is a fear right. that everything you thought was true was wrong. And that's usually not the case. Um, mostly it's right. understanding the, the basics, like how reading works in the brain and how learning works. And then you can build off right. of that. Um, but yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's fear. I think we have to figure out ways to, to share with people in a way that doesn't play off of fears, but um, mm -hmm. shows maybe what, what we have in common. And, and, um, but it, we have to go back to the beginning. So when you started your Facebook group, how did it catch on initially? Like, did it grow quickly from the get go? Or what's your perspective on that? And why it caught on? It grew like crazy. <laughs> I, I, well, okay, so I remember, I, I'll never forget, I'm sitting in my, my living room and I'm, I have, every day I'd report to my husband, 
we've got another, there's another couple hundred people. It, it's a thousand people. It, yeah. It's, it's 2,000 people. And, and, you know, I had no idea. And then, you know, people are telling me Facebook groups don't grow that way. They, they don't grow that fast. You know, this is like a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did I know? I didn't even know there was Facebook groups. <laughs> it's all new to me. Um, but what happened was, um, I really think the title spoke to people. Yeah. And it certainly spoke to me, and it was the truth. I mean, I was just being brutally honest. You know, we didn't learn this in college. So so I guess people were intrigued maybe by the, the title, um, came to it for that reason. People would, if they were at a conference, you know, people the organizers or the speaker at the conference would say, Hey, and if you haven't heard, join this group, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's how it got started, how it started spreading. So So when people started sharing in that group initially, what were the things you were hearing the most that people were struggling with or had questions about? Um, basically what is it? What's the science telling us, you know, what should Mm -hmm. we be doing? When you see people that are new to the group, what are they asking? Same thing. It it amazes me, but I shouldn't be amazed by it. But it does amaze me that we get new members all the time. You know, five six hundred a week, and it's the same story. I'm new to the science of reading. Where do I start? Yeah, I just said. Someone just did that the other day, and I responded because I totally knew what she was talking about. She went to school grad school, like in the early 2000s, which is when I did. And it was, mm-hmm. I followed all these people. She listed all the people who I followed in the books yeah. I read. And she's like, I don't know, what do I do now? Do I have to rethink everything? And, and I talked about how that, that can, it can feel like that. And mainly, right. mainly you just have to understand how reading works and how learning works. And then that's our foundation. And then we can build on that's that. Right. It's, not, it's not so scary after that. So do you know, as of right now, about how many people are in it? It's, I'm thinking 214, it might be more, I don't know. Yeah, and that's a lot of people. And of course, um, people are in there at different stages of their journey. So some people come in and ask a question. And um, some people are very helpful and other people are not very helpful. When I first joined, uh, I saw someone ask a question and someone else just very much basically said, you have no excuse for not having known this. Um, it's This research has been around for 40 years. <laughs> and so it's uh-huh. unfortunate that there are people like that in the group. I don't. I feel like most people are encouraging, but that really turns some people off. So maybe we can talk about best practices for um, answering people's questions just in real life too, or you know, helping people see that what they're doing maybe isn't the best. Well, okay. So <laughs> social media gives people... Uh, the courage to be rude mm-hmm. and just just rude. I don't know what that's all about. Um, and you know, and that you bring up a good point because that's been a challenge of ours to mm-hmm. keep people kind and considerate. And so, you know, we do a lot of monitoring of that. Yeah, I um, I don't understand human nature when if they're getting. And, and and to hear a comment like that, there's no excuse. Well, you know, there's professors all over the country and world who still believe what they're teaching is is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. So you know that's that's another that's a, you know that's part of our big problem here is that you know, 
the instructors that are producing thousands of teachers are still teaching it wrong. Um, yeah. it's, it's just that, that that's our issue. It's like, how do you stop that? Right. Mm-hmm. How do you stop that pipeline? Yeah. And so, yeah. What would you say to a teacher who says I've got, you know, I'm the only one of on my staff who's interested in the science of reading, but I still have teachers using leveled books in kindergarten and doing writing records. I don't know what to do. Nobody's interested in hearing this. Yeah. Oh, I hear that every day. So you can't control other people for sure. And um, but the only one you can't control is yourself. And in, if you have found that um, you need to investigate um, a better way, then you need to arm yourself with that information. Do what you can in your classroom because that's the only thing you can control. Um, share the good results that you're going to get. And hopefully through those, you can influence people. Um, most teachers are, are going to want to know what the neighbor's doing if the mm-hmm. neighbor is getting better results than they are. Yeah. Most teachers. And if you can show that you're getting better results with what you're doing, um, then that, you know, that's, that's all in your favor. It's a human nature thing, right? You have to really be... You have to tiptoe around and do what you can without being aggressive, um, it's, and it's not easy, but it can be done, and you just have to believe what you're doing is the right thing for your kids. Just keep, keep working it in, in a kind way, in a, in a non-threatening way, showing your data, this is what I'm doing and see what happens. Um, I've known teachers who have done that and it doesn't matter what they're doing and showing good results. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. still it's it's still falling on deaf ears. Yeah. It's and it's I know that's hard for teachers because they of course everybody wants to see everybody see the light and make a shift immediately and unfortunately that's not how change works. Um, I think another tricky thing is you know, when you think about showing data, they have to be using the right measuring tool, which the other teachers might not be using. So like if you're with teachers who are using like Founders of Pinnell Benchmark, your students in kindergarten may not show the same growth on that assessment because that assessment's measuring how well they do with 3Qing basically. That's right. Uh, and you're not teaching that. So right. helping helping other teachers to see that um, Founders of Pinnell Benchmark assessment doesn't really tell us very much. And, you know, right. there, are, there are good articles that you could share about that. Um, Matt Burns has talked about that quite a bit. Um, explain what research has told us about how the, those um, measures really don't even predict in a, in a predictable way or in a reliable way who's going to be successful with reading. You know, talk about how Acadians or Dibbles 8 or something like that right. is, is research-based mm-hmm. and shows and do, those benchmarks are predictive. I've shared a free training with schools who have asked me to called um, Why I Embraced the Science of Reading After 20 Years in Balanced Literacy. And I've given it to different mm-hmm. schools and... There was one school, um, it was, I basically felt like I was talking to myself because I couldn't see anybody and I really didn't know how it was landing at all. Um, afterwards, the, the teachers that headed it up said, oh, people loved it. They said it was the best PD they've had. They, they were really excited. It was one step in their movement. It was not, it was not the only thing. They'd been educating their teachers and this was a piece of that. Another school where a leader was interested and I shared it and the teachers were cleaning their classrooms <laughs> while I was doing it. Nobody was paying attention. So it was very much like, Oh wow! It was somebody else's idea. They weren't interested. Um, so, it's true. 
Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's it's hard because you can't just force something on on people. So I don't know how many schools do book studies. Lindsay Kemeny's new book, Seven Mighty Moves, is a, would be a really good right. one because it's very teacher friendly. It's a beautiful book. Teachers like beautiful books. It's short and it's not judgmental. I think somebody who was on the balanced literacy train could look at that book and still want to read it because it's very practical. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be a first step, starting with a short book like that and then discussing the chapters would be maybe a good thing. Maybe you could talk about how you use the group to point people to PD and other things. So about a year after the, not even a year after the um, Facebook group got started, uh, one of the members, she said, let's do a book study. And I'm like, oh, that's so much work. I didn't really want to do it. Well, anyway, so we wound up doing um, a book study on David Kilpatrick's, um, not the Essentials book, the other one, his um, equipped equipped for reading success yes that one and so and it was wildly popular just wildly popular and um i thought okay and then then the next thing i did was a book study for dr susan smart and um Mm. dr haugen their book and that was a that was a 10-week commitment but once we once i got into that that was the, my, you know, second year. I thought, you know what? That, this is what's bringing people to the page. So, I started finding people in in PD. I try to focus a lot of the PD that I choose. That is something teachers can sit and get and mm-hmm. take it to the classroom the next day. I feel like it's a service to teachers that. Um, are new to the science and we, we charge very little, you know, nominal fee for that and that it's affordable for teachers. And so that's mm-hmm. why we, we do it that way. That is one of the big ways I use the group is just to check in. I try to check in most days um, or every couple of days. And that's I'm always nice. looking for, I'm always looking for new workshops and things that people are sharing. And then what I do is I send myself a link to the, tr- the video and then I put it in a folder in my Gmail to, to read or watch and then um, usually on Fridays, that's when I start going through that. So if teachers are trying to wonder how to keep track of these things, that might be a good practice just to put it in a folder. And then when you have time, um, because even if um, you don't feel like you're moving the needle at your school, school-wide, I just find that the more you know, which you keep learning more hearing these people say the same things over and over in a different way, the more you're ready to talk about and answer questions that people have. And yes. the more educated the more educated you are, the more educated you'll sound. And that's more convincing to people too. Um, it, so, and, and it gives you more confidence in what you're doing. Yeah. And this is not a one and done thing, right? Um, we all can go to conferences, even though you might be considered the expert, you're not the expert because there's so much yep. to know. And, and research is always evolving. And so there's so much new stuff that's coming out. Exactly. You know, that is... Um, that's something that you need to consider. And so, you know, just go and, and take in knowledge. This business of education and being a, an educator should not be a one and done thing. You know, you, do, you, you get out of college, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? There's so much to learn. Thanks for saying that because that is, that is so true. I know people maybe would like to know they could just learn the science of reading and be done with it. But because it's science, of course, there's constantly things being added or new approaches that are maybe more efficient that would be beneficial to learn about. 
what what are the ways that you keep your toes in? Like what are are there specific journals or anything that you follow in particular that helps you stay aware of what's what's new? Sure. Well, I I try to keep up with the Reading League Journal, things like that. There's a site that has um, current research that comes out. Um, Nina, I forgot her last name. Saha. Saha, yeah. yeah, yeah. She has a a service where you can get current research sent to you every month. You know, watch webinars, that sort of thing, because, again, it's professional development. And every time you watch something, you're like, ah, hmm, never thought of it that way. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so much to learn, so much to learn. So, you know, and I go to conferences once in a while and, you know, things like that. So... I think for me, when I finally embraced the science of reading, that was so exciting to me because I don't know, I didn't really, I thought I knew balanced literacy, but there's only so so far you can go with balanced literacy because a lot of it's just the structures, like getting used to reading aloud, shared reading, guided reading, independent reading, but there wasn't a lot of depth to it. Exactly. Um, Right. It's kind of like, there's nowhere to go from there. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, right? And with the science, you're always being um, diagnostic and prescriptive. And so mm-hmm. there's so much depth to it. There really yeah. is. You know, There is. And yet there's also really good ways to learn about it without feeling like you're drowning. Do you have any, what are your specific recommendations for people who are new? Take it slow. We put out a welcome letter to new okay. members. And oh, our yeah. welcome letter has what I feel are gateway information, webinars, resources that will kind of get you started. There's just so many different webinars out there that are even podcasts that are so informative. And so, again, like you say, just take those bits of information and start putting pieces together. You know, if you really want to dip your toes in, you had mentioned The Seven Mighty Moves. Donna's audio cut out a bit here, but she's mentioning the book Shifting the Balance, by Jan Birkins and Carrie Yates. Even though there's some controversy over that it didn't it didn't go far enough, it certainly came from the perspective of someone who like yourself didn't know what didn't know about the science. And these are two authors, um, you know, Birkins and uh, Yates that who who realized, okay, there's there's more to this. There's another way. And you want to talk about fear. Their whole first in- yes. chapter is about the fear, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and the intimidation and the vulnerability of, of starting this new process and what that all entails. And so for that purpose alone, that is worthless reading that book because it, it really helps teachers who are hesitant reluctant, yes, uh, you know, threatened, you know, they, they do it with such grace. You feel validated. And also yeah. I think too, like you can start with a book like that, which is just getting yourself into the water. Um, yeah. But the more you read, the more those harder books are going to make sense to you. I know when I first started, I was trying to read The Comprehension Blueprint by Nancy Hennessy, which was recommended by lots of people. Actually, I also tried to read Mark Seidenberg's Reading at the Speed of Oh, that's Sight. a tough one. 
Yeah, and people were like, people, I don't know, it's, it surprises me when people are like, that's the first book you should read. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Or that you should read Reading in the Brain by Stanislaus Tehane is your first book. And I got both of those and they sat in my shelf for a couple of years because I, I just couldn't make sense of them. But once I had lots of background knowledge and a lot under my belt, I could read those books and understand most of them. Exactly. <laughs> so it's good to recommend to people that are getting started. Let's start easy. We don't have to scare people off um, by these books that really um, assume a lot of background knowledge that you might not have. Right. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for, for heading that group. I know it's, it's got to be a huge endeavor. How many moderators do you have right now? I think we're up to 20. Yeah, that's a lot because I know you approve the posts before they go out. Otherwise, you yes. probably have so many gazillions of posts about all sorts of random things. We and it's do. going to be able to control it. Yeah, and we're trying to, um, you know, I put a f- uh, frequently asked question document together, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, we're constantly updating that. Um, it is, it's... It's the same questions because our audience is the same people. They still they they come to the group because yeah. they don't know, and so yeah. you know that's our mission is to is to enlighten them in a very kind way, non threatening way, and you know we hope we accomplish that. I know it's not always, but we we try. Yeah, yeah. So I would encourage anyone who's listening. I would guess most people listening are already part of that group. But if not, um, we'll certainly have a link in the show notes as well as to Nina Saha's place where you can uh, learn more about research that she shares and anything else we mentioned, including the books. So um, thank you so much, Donna. It was so nice to talk to you. You as well. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 141. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.